It's another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Biz with you as we talk Iowa Hawkeyes basketball and Jordan Bohannon gets it done again. Biz, you were in attendance Friday night in a dominating performance, the last few minutes at least from Jordan Bohannon, and a victory over the Hoosiers. Yeah, it was a fun one to be at in person. It was a uh, lively crowd, uh, but for the, the majority of the game, a very nervous crowd. Uh, unfortunately, the Hawks didn't give us much to cheer about for a uh, 38 minutes, but uh, then they made up for it the last seven minutes, or, or at least J-Bo made up for it. Uh, and I went back and and rewatched those last seven minutes, and uh, basically there was eight things that J-Bo did. Obviously, we know about the threes, but when you break it down, there was eight things he did that uh, if he didn't do all eight of them, we don't come back and win. But uh, the best thing about going back and rewatching a game that's on uh, uh, FS1, Trent, is that uh, I think you were the one that told me earlier this year, but they stole the NBA on NBC uh, <laughs> anthem. That is just phenomenal to listen to. They, they should play that before and after uh, every single uh, four-minute timeout. That, that just uh, nothing better than listening to the, the NBA on NBC uh, anthem, or I guess it's a heart of a champion, I guess it would be also. Yes, yes, it, it is outstanding, and it, it brings back my memories of childhood, certainly when you're listening to that. and. It sounds a lot better when Iowa comes back and wins the basketball game. You mentioned Bohannon down the stretch, and he is uh, now in getting to this maybe rarefied spot of greatest shooters in Iowa history, most most clutch players in Iowa history, and on and on and on. There's just there's something about the end of the games, and he's a different kind of kid. He he seems to be just built differently the way that he can get it done late in games. I think at this point it's pretty much indisputable that he's he's the uh, most clutch player in Iowa history because uh, unfortunately uh, over the years Iowa hasn't exactly set a real high bar when it comes to uh, really clutch players. I mean, we've had guys that have made plays occasionally. Obviously, Wrecker uh, had a phenomenal week in the, the Big Ten Big Ten tourney. Uh, we've had players, you know, Andre Ward comes to mind as somebody that was just unbelievably clutch. The better the opponent, uh, the better game Andre played. But uh, as far as just making big shots at big moments, uh, it, it's pretty hard to argue that J-Bo is not the uh, the all-time king when it comes to that. So with Bohannon and his exploits, and this goes back to something we talked about a little bit last week, Biz, is these three victories in the last four games haven't exactly been against the who's who of Big Ten basketball. Rutgers is better. Indiana's talented. But this isn't an Iowa team playing at a great level, just finding ways to win. Is it a concern? Is it a concern going in here to the last stretch here where maybe the wheels fall off? Three of their last four are on the road. Ohio State coming up tomorrow night, and, uh, of course, at the end of the season at Wisconsin, at Nebraska. It has to be, and at least to me, it's a little bit concerning knowing that this team, though they are winning basketball games, they're certainly not playing at their highest level, even close to it. Yeah, but I think part of that trend has to do with just the familiarity of the Big Ten. When you play 20 games in the Big Ten, it, it, it's a grind. And when you're playing teams, you know, like like Indiana that just saw us a few weeks ago, they know what we're going to do, and we know what they're going to do. It was a, you know, it was a battle. Um, and 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a little bit of concern in there that we're not playing, uh, you know, perfect basketball, but, but who is really? I mean, if you look around the Big Ten, everybody's had some lulls and, and mm-hmm. at times just not looked very good. And give us credit, during what you'd probably consider to be a lull, we've won three out of four. And that's uh, <laughs> that's a credit to our resiliency. And, and to be honest, you think it's a credit to Jason Bohannon because uh, – or Jordan Bohannon, sorry. Um, you know, he's, I mean, he's the reason we've won three out of four. Like I said, he, he did eight things down the stretch. Everybody knows about the four threes, but he also hit two huge free throws that chipped it down to four right after some buffoon on, on uh, Twitter uh, announced that the Fran fade had officially started. So uh, I, That's not what I said. That's not what I said. Get it right. I said, maybe. What, what did you say, Trevor? Right. Let's, let's, let's get it Let's right. go to Twitter. Let's go to Twitter here. And as I made a jackson. I'll, I'll, I'll keep updating you while you try to dig yourself out of the hole. But he hit, uh, hit the two free throws. He assisted on the lob to Cook. Um, he assisted on another Cook bucket uh, early in overtime. Um, and he assisted on a, a, the Cook uh, one free throw with a minute 10 to go in the game. Where uh, you know, so, so basically every bucket. The last seven minutes of the game, he either uh, scored or assisted on, and, and, and we all know the three is, you know, three of the four were just ridiculously difficult. So, so did I buy you enough time to go find your your absurd tweet? I did. Yes, uh, as Iowa went down six at that point, I, I'm looking uh, here at the numbers. At that point, I was uh, percentage chance of winning the game. We're down to eighty eight percent win probability for Indiana. So twelve percent chance that I was going to come back. Of course, I, I, do. I don't want to hear that stuff, Trent. What did you tweet? Let, let, let's read the actual tweet here. Fran fade in February? Question mark. Looks freaking likely again. Boy, that, that's about. Uh, what are you trying to claim then that that was not? Uh, you were somehow hedging your bets on that. Yes. What, yes. what is your claim? There was a question mark there. That's a mocking question mark. You're, you're mocking him basically. Uh, you had, you had officially given up, Trent. I had. I had. I had absolutely no hope at that point that I was going to come back, and I was dead wrong and happy to be dead wrong about it as Bohannon put the team on his shoulders again. It was a fun night on Twitter. I enjoyed it. Yes, yes, I had. Tom Caker coming after me. John Miller coming after me. I had you, Biz, coming after me. Dozens of other people on Twitter coming after me. The biggest takeaway for me, though, not just the Iowa victory, but it hit the over. Thank God for overtime. At least I won a bet. I see everything's coming up, Trent, at the end. So, yeah, in that situation, you, you got to just uh, accept your fate, and, and I think you did that. To your credit, you didn't uh, you, you didn't try to weasel out of it, or, or, or you know, you're weaseling out of it now. But yeah. I think deep down, you know that you, uh, you you were wrong, and I'm sure you're happy to be wrong. They got me. Yeah, I, I got got last night. Well, speaking of Twitter, tell us about your guys' uh, pregame exploits. You and Statboy and Dumps were. Out having a few cocktails beforehand, and well, Stat Boy was wearing his John Licklider jersey. How about the guy that you guys ran into here? Guy has three hundred and fifty different Hawkeye jerseys. Yeah, so this guy, uh, if you haven't been to it yet, there's a a, a new option close to, to Carver. I believe it's called Guildwurst, which uh, is kind of a hole in the wall bar. That it's a brewery and. Uh, Basically, a brewery and brat place, which, uh, mm. you know, the only way we found it was, you know, you generally try to go to Wigan Pen or you try to go to Vine, and those two are uh, ridiculously crowded. And we found it, uh, I believe it was the Iowa State game, or a ways back we found it. And been there three or four times, and every time you go there for a pregame, whether it's guys' game or women's game, uh, this guy is there. And he has a, a phenomenal uh, array of jerseys. I think the first three times I had been there, 
Uh, he had a Trey Dickerson one time. He had a Zach McCabe, and we went there with my daughter before a women's game once, and he had uh, Sean Considine's sister, Megan Considine, on for that game. Wow. So, we had a little extra time on Friday, so we actually uh, moseyed up to the bar and sat next to him. Uh, so, uh, fat boy in his look letter jersey and uh, jersey guy in his Gable Ashani jersey. Uh, chatted it up for quite a while, as, as only fat boy can do. So he he got to uh, the, the details about just how many jerseys he had, and it was fun quizzing him because not only would he he had tell us which jerseys he had, but amazingly, he had almost all of them on his phone as well. So <laughs> you got to see an authentic Jim Bartles, uh, wow. a few other uh, classics. Uh, that, uh, we'd quiz him, and, and he was honest on which ones he had, and he usually had proof to back it up. So uh, a nice guy and a diehard Hawk fan. We, we found him later on. Uh, he had much better seats than us, let's put it that way. Okay, understandable there. How about Jeff Moe? Did he have a Jeff Moe jersey? He did have a Jeff Moe, yes. Wow. I, I believe that was one he did not have a photo of, but uh, by that time he had he had proven us correct with photos enough times that we, we knew he wasn't lying. All right, well, you know my birthday is coming up here in a uh, little less than two months, so if you're looking for those birthday gifts, uh, maybe talk to Jersey Guy and see what it costs to get it off of him. Well, we did, we did have some some discussions with him on cost of some of these. And I'll just tell you, Trent, it's not a cheap hobby. And he is, he is not purchasing uh, generic ripoffs. Uh, it's not like it's uh, the ones that have, uh, you know, the number and then Hawkeyes on the back. This guy is getting the, the legit, uh, legit jerseys. So, uh, I hate to say it, you're, you're not worth that much for your birthday, Trent. Understandable, understandable. Well, maybe if we get Denny Arthurs on board, uh, maybe that will change things. Until then, we will hope and wait. Hey, speaking of Stat Boy, the stats that he gives us uh, throughout the podcast, follow him on Twitter, at BookEis, B-U-C-H-E-I-S is where you can find him, and you can find all those stats that we talk about and all the hard work that Stat Boy gives. Let, let's bump him up a little bit and, and get Stat Boy, get those numbers rolling on Twitter. What, what's he up to, I wonder, Twitter-wise? Let's see here. He has 294 followers. By our next podcast, let's get him to 300. B-U-C-H-E-I-S is where you can find Stat Boy. We'll find out the uh, the Trent Condon influence here. Can you can you get a whopping six followers based on your uh, recommendation, Trent? I, I think that might be a stretch right there. Might be a stretch. All right, Biz. So well, we that's, ta- that's all. That's all we had to talk about, right? That, that's all that happened in Iowa sports this week. All, all positives, all things that right. we can just uh, be happy about. Uh, there wasn't any other uh, side side shows that uh, we need to address, correct? Unfortunately, that is not the case. And at the University of Iowa, making a mountain out of a molehill seems to be something that they are very, very good at, as it was that announced. Could be the, that, that could be the official motto of uh, <laughs> the Iowa athletic program. We, we make mountains out of molehills. Oh, the, the PR firm, yeah, work it up right now. It, it just It's absolutely incredible. This is something... So, for people that miss the story, and I wonder where the hell you've been over the last oh, four days or so, but... Tuesday during the broadcast against Maryland at the end of the game uh, in the post-game show, Gary Dolphin mentioned that Bruno Fernando was playing like King Kong. King Kong, uh, a large fictional ape, people, I guess, connected dots here. And what it turned out to be is Gary Dolphin is now suspended for the rest of the season. We'll see about his future at the University of Iowa with Learfield Sports Biz. I'm leaving it open-ended to you. Take it away. Well, as you know, I have a hard time being objective when it comes to Dolph. Um, it, it, I said it before. I'll say it again. I just don't think he's very good at his job to begin with. Um, he's a fabulous iClub MC. 
he seems like a great guy to go have a beer with. He seems like a great guy to you know schmooze the alumni with. But what he's not great at is, is properly describing sporting events on the radio, which which he uh, is paid to do. Uh, this whole incident, you know, I think everybody, the vast majority of people, if not 100 percent of people agree that he had no ill intent whatsoever. He didn't mean it as an insult to Fernando. Um, he certainly did not mean it in an overtly racist way. Um, in fact, he probably meant it as a compliment. Or he probably definitely meant it as a compliment. But the fact of the matter is, Jerry Dolphin is a professional broadcaster. He is held to a different standard than, than any Joe Schmo watching at a bar or listening on the radio. Um, and he's failed to meet that standard multiple times now in the last couple couple months. And, and whether you like it or not, he has made himself the story twice in the last two months. Should he have been a story in, in this situation? That's very debatable and probably not, but he has. Um, and it's something that, you know, I know people, are, there was clearly not much outrage or any outrage rage with what he had to say, but the fact of the matter is at least one human being complained to the university about it, and if they would have just completely ignored the situation, I'm sure eventually it would have uh, come to a head and, and, and the university would have been in trouble for ignoring it. Um, unfortunately, they did what the university always does, which is, like you said, uh, made a mountain out of a molehill and where we are today. So, you know, first, do I agree with the suspension? No, I think the length is probably way more than, than needed, but I also understand where they're coming from because of the cumulative part of this. Mm-hmm. But because the university has, has just decided to put their head in the sand and not communicate, this has become so much bigger than it ever needed to, And which, again, that's kind of the university's M.O., is, is let's ignore it and hope it goes away. And in today's world, obviously just the opposite is going to happen because when you don't come forward and you don't speak and you don't you know, explain your rationale for these situations, people's imaginations run wild and they start blaming, in my opinion, the wrong people. So, you know, the PR department, it's shockingly awful. They could have done anything other than what they did. And I've got just a simple scenario to play out with you as to what I think they should have done. It's one of many options, but it's one that I think would have certainly limited the fiasco that we're in. So you ready for my... uh, quick scenario on what they should have done if I was the uh, the PR head at the University of Iowa. Yeah, yes, I would love to hear this. I'm sure it's probably more thought out reason than what they actually came up with. Well, I hope it is. Uh, maybe it's not. Maybe people, people just say uh, this is a terrible idea as well. But to me, it's pretty easy. Instead of sending out a, a half-assed written you know, comments where you basically just pile on Learfield and say, yep, we agree with Learfield, um, be accountable. Instead of putting out a written release, just say Gary Barta is going to have a press conference two hours before the tip of, of the Iowa basketball game. Why two hours? Because by then, the players and coaches are already in their pregame routine. You don't have to get Fran involved at all. You don't have to get the players involved at all. You don't have the social media craziness all afternoon that I'm sure the players saw. I mean, they're not they're not ignorant. They they were on their phones. I'm sure that afternoon and saw what was going on. So you say, 6.30, Gary Barton's going to have a press conference. And then at that press conference, be 100% completely transparent. Uh, you've already hinted in, in past press releases that there are ongoing tensions between the coach 
and, and your main announcer. So go ahead and lay out all three known issues about Gary Dolphin. The Iowa-Wisconsin ticket debacle is known at this point. Scott Docterman mentioned it in detail in his article this week. It's something that anybody that's really dug into the situation knows what happened. And if you don't, what happened is Gary Dolphin decided to ask for tickets for some friends of his to the Iowa-Wisconsin game. Those tickets that he gets are family and friends tickets, so the people ended up being seated directly behind Margaret McCaffrey. I don't know if Dolph knows or not, but the people he asked the tickets were all four diehard Badgers fans. And not only did they wear Badgers clothing, but from everything I've ever heard or been told, and, and what Scott Dockerman said in his article as well, they frequently and continuously <laughs> harassed Margaret McCaffrey and the other uh, fans in that section, which uh, is shockingly dumb by Gary Dolphin. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, a fireable offense? No. But it's certainly a reason for quote-unquote, ongoing tensions. So you just go ahead and lay that out. Explain that there's been issues in the past. Then you touch on the Macy Daly comments. You talk about the fact that that's strike two. Then you talk about the Bruno Fernando comments and talk about the fact that this is the third time that we've had an issue with our announcer in a short period of time. Explain that you understand he doesn't. his intent was not to be a... <laughs> racist or negative towards him in any way, but but words matter, and he should know better, and that because of the cumulative effect of all these three things, you're suspending him for a certain amount of time. People are still probably going to disagree with your ultimate conclusion, but at least they know how you got there. To me, what a novel concept it is to just be transparent, come forward, and step up to the mic and actually have the balls to explain your rationale for something instead of just hide your head in the sand and hope it goes away. So that's my uh, rant, Trent. Would it have worked better? I don't know, but it certainly couldn't have worked worse. It didn't. They screwed this up again, and Gary Dolphin, we know his love for the Hawkeyes, and Gary Dolphin as a person, the times that I've met him, is a great person. I enjoy his company. He's been great to me coming on radio shows. He's always been a wonderful guy. In today's environment, you just can't say things like that. And, and this is completely different than back in the early 80s when Howard Cosell talked about a, a wide receiver making a catch and that little monkey gets loose, I think is what he says. This is different. This is not even in the same stratosphere of that. But we're also talking about something that is happening 35 years later. And because of that, that also matters here. It's unfortunate the way that it went down, but the way the university handled it was terrible. And the frustrating part, and this goes back to what happened the first suspension this season when he missed the two games for the Wisconsin-Michigan State games is, is before that one, we didn't get to hear from Gary Dolphin, or Gary Bart, excuse me, beforehand. It seemed. And then all of a sudden the pressure came. Okay, then he relents. I, I just, I don't understand why Gary Barta, why he is so, so fractured, so so shelled around this athletic department, the university as a whole. He is the face. He is the leader of the athletic department. And it feels like he never wants to answer questions. He never wants to be out in front of when these things are going on. And he continually throws people under the bus. It's a step further. Should Gary Barta lose his job because of this? No. But much like it's a culmination for Gary Dolphin and why we got here, it's a culmination for Gary Barta too. And step after step after step, Great, he raises money, but the other parts of the job, he sucks at too. You know, the parts of the job that you talk about, Dolph, 
Dolph isn't a great play-by-play guy anymore. It, he, he just isn't. There are things that he misses, but you can get away with it for cer- certain things. And Gary Barta could get away with some of these things individually, but we compile them all together, and, and you couple it with the $6, 7000000 million that he cost the, cost the athletic department, and on and on and on. I don't understand how this guy also gets to stay on, or Gary Dolphin continually is the one getting his wrist slapped. Well, you and I, I mean, going back to the, the whole debacle with the lawsuit, I mean, you and I both, I think, felt pretty strongly that Gary Bartis should have lost his job after that. No doubt. And he certainly hasn't done anything to prove us wrong since then. I mean, you mentioned that eventually after the Macy Daly comments, he did come up, come forward and uh, and make some, some public comments. And all he did was, was pour a... Uh, pour more gas on the fire. I mean, his ass nine comments about the ongoing tensions without explaining those tensions just leads to more speculation. And, and people still don't know the, the whole story because they never come out and lay it out there. You can't just say ongoing tensions without giving something to back it up. And you can't just suspend a, uh, an icon without giving some, some, some information. Don't, maybe don't let everything, but yeah. some information to, to support your rationale for doing it. And it's to me, it's not too late to come out and at least have the balls to get in front of a mic and explain it at this point. If you're going to do it, do it today. Don't do it before game day. I mean, we have this shockingly stupid idea that let's, let, let's announce all these things uh, four hours before game time. Yes. So I, my assumption is we will probably hear from Gary Barta but it will be two hours or three hours before tomorrow's game, which uh, will just take the, uh, the limelight away from, from what has been an unbelievably fun few weeks for the Iowa basketball team. So, uh, and the other thing, Trent, that drives me absolutely insane, you mentioned uh, Barton's attention to throwing people under the bus. Well, he has uh, repeatedly thrown not only Dolph under the bus, but he keeps throwing his coach under the bus as well because – it drives me nuts that people keep dragging Fran McCaffrey into this equation like he is somehow in cahoots with Gary Barta. Uh, let's take a step back and just look at this from Fran's situation. Fran has every reason in the world to not like Gary Dolphin. The whole idea with the tickets is incredibly stupid of Gary Dolphin. He has to know the tickets that he's giving to these Wisconsin fans are going to a friends and family section. It can't be the first time he's ever asked for tickets. Um, then you get the situation with, with Macy Daly where he clearly is talking crap about one of Fran's players and, and is basically implying or calling out Fran's recruiting ability at the same situation. Mm-hmm. Both of those two situations, you look at it from Fran's perspective, damn right he should be pissed. This third situation is peanuts compared to those first two. But uh, Fran has no reason. I mean, there's no reason to, to throw Fran into this situation. He should be frustrated. Um, and I'm sick and tired of people comparing Gary Dolphin as, as their buddy to somebody that they don't necessarily like Fran as much as they do Dolph. You know what? Dolph is probably a great guy to go out and have a beer with. By all accounts, he's, he's a great, friendly human being. And on the flip side, Fran doesn't give a damn about you being his buddy. It's not something he's going to pretend to do. But the things that Fran does give a damn about matter, Trent. And what he cares about, A, he cares about running a clean basketball program. He has done that unbelievably well in his eight years here. He cares about his players. He is incredibly, fiercely loyal to his players, almost to a fault. In 
their players more than Terry McCaffrey was. He will never, ever, ever throw any of them under the bus. Plus, he cares more than any of us <laughs> or has raised more than any of us combined for the fight against cancer. The man has, has raised millions and millions of dollars for cancer as well. So you've got a guy that runs a clean program, cares about his players, will never throw them under the bus, and is fundraised more than than all of us combined. But for some reason, because he isn't uh, a guy you're going to go out and grab a beer with, people like to blame him for this situation. Leave him out of it. This is not Fran's situation. You have every right in the world, our whole fan base has every right in the world to be pissed off at Gary Barda. And you can be frustrated at Fran for other issues. You can be frustrated for some of his coaching decisions, but you have no right to be frustrated with Fran McCaffrey because the administration has, has made a debacle out of this. Very well said, and, and with it, something that I know I've said in the past, but I, I think bears repeating, is what he's done with this basketball program. Are there things game-to-game, day-to-day that we get frustrated about? Absolutely. We talk about the two foul and sitting out the rest of the half. We talk about end-game situations. There's plenty of things, and I think that happens with most college basketball coaches, regardless of the level. You watch a guy game in and game out, and you get frustrated with some things. But what he has done with this program and getting them back at least in step to what they were under Dr. Tom Davis, I think bears repeating the credit that he deserves nationally. And I've talked to people on the national beat about the Iowa job when it came open and talked about them since then. And this is something that I think nationally, Fran McCaffrey gets a lot more credit than he does here on a local level. The Iowa job was looked at terribly. It was looked at at a place that you couldn't win anymore, that they didn't invest. That Some of the things that Steve Alford was talking about as a football school that was the reality in college basketball circles. And there was a huge surprise that Fran McCaffrey even took this job. Many people believed he was going to stay out east and take the St. John's job. St. John's job. That didn't happen. Iowa should be very happy about getting Fran McCaffrey. You look at the other names that were on the list at the time that were willing to maybe even take the job, and he had to cut some corners to get there. Look at a guy like Brian Gregory, who went to Georgia Tech instead at the time, and he failed out, and he was done in four years at that program. You look at the other names on that list. Remember Rick Majerus? I mean, that, that continued to go on. Well, Rick Majerus is no longer with us. You can go on and on. Iowa basketball was at a spot where very easily it could have cratered. And you look at what happens at Penn State, and game in and game out, and there's three, 4,000 people in that huge building, and they got curtains up to cover things up. That very well could have been Carver-Hawkeye Arena if the wrong hire was made. If Fran McCaffrey didn't decide, you know what, I'm going to go back to the Midwest, and I'm going to take this program back over another bad hire in Iowa basketball we're not talking about this team in the top 25 we're not talking about a team on its way to the fourth NCAA tournament in the last six years we're not having that conversation Fran McCaffrey has done a lot with this basketball program and for this basketball program and I don't believe he gets enough credit for taking this program and even getting it to this level well two things Trent one you mentioned uh, Dr. Tom in your comments there you know it's the ultimate irony that uh, there is no nicer human being on earth than Dr. Tom Davis. Uh, I mean, uh, nobody has ever said a bad thing about him as a human being. But uh, he was basically run out of town because of one reason and one reason only. He wasn't winning enough games for the fan base. And now you've got a situation where the only reason I can see that people don't like Fran is that he's not a warm, fuzzy individual. He's not going to be... You know, he's not the kind of guy that's going to go pat backs on, on the, the iClub circuit right. and do those types of things. And Dolph does. And now people, uh, you know, they're mad at Fran for they think that somehow he has orchestrated this. And A, I think that's BS. But B, even if he did have an input in this, 
he's got a right to. I mean, Dolph is, again, Dolph, uh, I don't want to belabor the point, but the whole concept of, of Dolph talking crap about a current player and by implication talking crap about Franz recruiting ability, I just I can't fathom if that were to happen at a Duke or a Kansas or a North Carolina or any of those places that the, the announcer would have a job the next day. So let's not pretend that, that Dolph is completely blameless in this situation. Yep. He, he, has, uh, he has done plenty of things wrong in the past that cumulatively he should be facing a suspension here. Again, is the suspension too much? Did he do anything wrong in the current situation? Probably not. But when you're when you've got two strikes against you, you can't be you know that's you, you, you got to be more careful to not get the third strike. And again, it's I, I, you hit the nail on the head. Fran is somebody that he probably shouldn't have been successful at Iowa at all, given the fact that uh, he doesn't have a lot of Midwest roots. He didn't cut any corners. He basically had to dig this program completely out of the gutter, and he did it patiently, and he did it his way, and he's, you know, he's been successful every step along the way except for one bump in the road last year. So you know, it drives me nuts how many people are throwing him under the bus in the situation, including his own boss. With that, Biz, let's move past Dolphgate 2.0, and let's uh, take a quick peek at this week. Three of the last four games are road games. It starts tomorrow night with Ohio State. Rutgers at home over the weekend and the next week. Road games at Wisconsin and Nebraska to finish up. Of the three road games, I feel like this one's the most winnable. And, and Nebraska, we know they're cratering, but it is going to be senior day for Nebraska. How important that is, I don't know. But it'll be James Palmer's last game. It'll be Glenn Watson, who seemingly kills the Hawks all the time. His Their final games in Husker uniforms. That one, I think, might be even more difficult than this one. I see this one certainly as a very winnable game. Ken Palm has uh, Iowa a two-point dog in the matchup here. If you're going to get a road game, I think you got to get it tomorrow night. The, the times I've seen Ohio State play, including at, at Carver, I have not been impressed no. with them at all. I, I just don't think they're a very talented team. I, I think uh, this is a very winnable game. They're not, uh, you know... Part of the thing, you know, Rutgers and Maryland, like we talked about, are both very, very physical teams. Ohio State's not very physical. They're, they're kind of, uh, you know, they've floated around the perimeter a little bit. Uh, you know, they're a mediocre team at best. So I agree with you. It's one, it's one we can get, and, and I'm still pretty confident going into it, which means uh, we'll probably <laughs> go up there and lay our first egg in a while and uh, we'll lose by double digits. So, But, yeah, going into it, I feel pretty good about it. I, I think this team, uh, you know, They've, they've shown that resiliency, they've shown that fight, and I think at some point they're going to start making some buckets regularly. And like you said, we've done pretty well at Value City Arena in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, no reason to believe we can't go up and do it again. Yeah, you know, their big guy, Caleb Wesson, he was in foul trouble when they were in Iowa City, what seems like forever ago. When was that game? Uh, January 12th, a month and a half ago. They, uh, outside of Wesson, you're right. This is an extremely talented team. Now, they will be next year. They bring in a great recruiting class next season. Of course, DJ Carton here from uh, from Iowa, the Quad Cities kid, and a couple other big-time prospects. But overall, this is a winnable game. And it's not a, an overly difficult environment. Value City Arena is never going to be confused with the Izone or even Assembly Hall, what we saw last week. A place that you can go in and win. And boy, it would be nice to see Iowa come out and just play well. It, like I talked about at the top is, this team, they're winning games, but they're not playing great basketball. 
to see like what we saw against Michigan, where they come out inspired from the get-go and, and they just play at a high level. Would love to see something like that again. And then they get the rematch with Rutgers, and you know they're going to be hungry coming in. They already say they're not going to get us twice. One of their players said that after the game, knowing that uh, they're going to see Iowa in a couple of weeks. But an important week just to at least get a win. You, you can't afford an 0-2 stretch, certainly here, or those fade calls that I was talking about earlier maybe will come to fruition. But find a way to at least get one and, and a real possibility of getting two, and we'll talk about the road games next week. Yeah, I mean, we built up all this positive momentum with, with these great comebacks the last two weeks. Uh, you just can't fall on your face the last next two weeks. I mean, two and two is fine. I mean, if you can get mm-hmm. – you go two and two in these last four, you set yourself up pretty clearly as a sixth seed in the tournament at that point and, and probably a you know, sixth seed in the, in the NCAA tournament as well at that point. So just don't fall on your face the last two weeks. And, and uh, you know, I, I think uh, things will fall the right way for us. All right, Biz, before we get out of here, time for another edition of Biz's Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. Well, Trent, we did a lot of uh, complaining and ranting this week. I wanted to end on a a positive note. Um, For those Iowa football fans who are potentially searching for a – a new favorite Hawkeye. Maybe you were a huge T.J. Hawkinson fan or Hooker or Font, and now that they've left, you're looking for someone else to uh, to really uh, really look forward to becoming a Hawkeye. I've got a name for you. I don't know if you read the article or not, but the, the new person to cheer for is going to be in black and gold this year, uh, Desmond Hudson. Um, there's a phenomenal article in the Kansas City uh, paper about the Hudson family. Um, Desmond Hudson's older brother, about two years older than him, um, was shot in a completely senseless, baffling drive-by shooting a few years back uh, and died. But uh, there's a silver lining to the story because his brother um, was an organ donor. Uh, He has donated organs to, I believe, seven different families. But the story is all about the connection of Desmond Hudson and his family to the gentleman, uh, the older white gentleman who received Desmond Hudson's brother's heart. Um, he's a 63-year-old gentleman, um, and the story is just unbelievable because it talks about he was maybe not the happiest gentleman to begin with, um, and this new heart has given him a new perspective on life um, and has also given him a newfound love for sports. Uh, not somebody that loves sports, but he has become Desmond Hudson's biggest fan. Went to all of his football games, has been to all of his basketball games, has created a connection with the family. Uh, it's just a great story. And it's a story that will leave you walking away thinking, man, I really hope Desmond Hudson uh, is successful, uh, not only because it would help the Hawks, but because uh, this family deserves someone to cheer for the next four or five years. That's awesome. And uh, it is in my save links. In fact, I got a little reading material as I get ready for my radio show. Biz, with that, we are out of time. Let's do it again next week. All right, go Hawks.